and uh, maybe I'm not like that idealistic about reclaiming the streets anymore, but I still believe that architects and urban planners should just be kind of more proactive. That was Evelina Azolo, and as you can hear, she's been rethinking her relationship to radical urban theory through her practice. I'll be chatting with Evelina in a minute, but first, welcome to episode three of our five-part series celebrating the centenary of the School of Architecture, Design and Planning here at the University of Sydney. I'm Dallas Rogers, host of City Road Podcast. In the first episode, we looked at the social and cultural life of the architecture degree. In the second episode, we took a deep dive into the idea of utopia. In this episode, we're traveling to Latvia to hear about how Evelina has been using the ideas of tactical urbanism in her practice. Evelina is an architect and an urban designer. And I work with uh, urban design activism projects, I guess you could say that. Evelina is also an active researcher, writer and teacher. Latvia is one of the Baltic states in the north of Europe by the Baltic Sea. Uh, Latvia is the one in the middle. Capital city is Riga. Latvia has a relatively small population, less than 2 million people in the country, and just under a million people living in the capital city. Yeah, what else? We were part of the, the Soviet Union for quite a long time, 50 years. Latvia regained their independence in 1991. And since then, we've tried to rebuild the country. Latvia is also part of the European Union. And uh, that has helped enormously. So, yeah. That's That's Latvia. Why don't you start off by telling us how you came to architecture and a bit about your biography, I guess, Mm -hmm. before we get into the politics of your projects. Yeah, sure. Well, I studied architecture in Riga at uh, Riga Technical University. And then uh, around the time when I graduated, that was a really great time for young architects. It was before the global financial crisis. We had uh, plenty of uh, commissions and there were so many competitions to do. It was exciting. So I worked for a couple of years. And then uh, by the beginning of 2009, I guess, it was uh, that was a completely different situation. And then... Uh, the situation was different, of course, because of the global financial crisis. Many young people had lost their jobs or were unemployed. Uh, so then... Uh, I found uh, kind of a way out of it by going back to school, and, and this time it was urbanism. I, was, I realized I was interested in, in the bigger scale or in more in, let's say, uh, human relationships than maybe spatial relationships. And so I went to the Netherlands and studied at the TU Delft, and I guess there uh, a lot of my interests changed. Also, just not, not just studying, but living in a different country uh, changed a lot of my, my views. Yeah, and since then I've been uh, involved in educational projects, lots of writing actually, and uh, and lots of building, like hands-on building projects, small projects with public spaces, with with streets, with local communities. Yeah, quite quite often I've had to like uh, build stuff myself to do all the all the hard work. I'd like to get to some of those projects in a minute. Before we go there. What are the ideas, what are some of the key ideas you're playing with in your work now? You said your your ideas and your politics may have changed a bit over time. Yeah. Where are they now? 
Um, well, I think uh, what, what hasn't changed, and I guess that's a, a kind of an attitude that I developed or started to develop while I was studying at UW. So um, the studio that I was in, graduation studio, was called Design as Politics. And that's where we were strongly encouraged to view architecture and urban planning in a, in a broader context, looking at processes in politics and the economy, uh, social changes, and, uh, and to, to react to them in an active way, to take a strong position and to do something to you know, fix what, what, we are, what we are able to fix. And um, so, so would you view architecture and planning prior to that as something that's reactionary and what you're trying to do in this work is make a more proactive approach to, to the city? Uh, yeah, I guess that, that's a good way to put it. Well, a large part of the architectural or, or uh, urban planning practice is, is a reactional one. Um, you get commissioned to do stuff or someone else writes the brief for you and, and you follow them. Uh, but then sometimes it just, you know, there are cases when it just doesn't happen. You see that something is very wrong in our cities. There's huge inequalities and spatial injustices and social injustices. In a lot of cases, architects and urbanists can do something about it. And why, you know, sit around and just wait for the local government to ask you to do that? Because that might never happen. You can take the initiative and just go out and, you know, talk to... Uh, local communities, to the planning authorities, to politicians, and uh, and try to change uh, things for the better. What some of the earliest projects that you worked on? Merig. 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 Yeah, exactly. That's a project. Well, the name comes from um, the name of the street that it was on. It's it's called Mier Street, which means Mier means peace in Latvian, and Merig. Well, we gave the name. Because, well, it means peacefully or easily. So we wanted to show that people and, and traffic can coexist in a more peaceful way on the street. And, and that is something that can actually be done by, by very simple means. So what we did there was we worked with the street for quite a few years. And it was a kind of a self-initiated project that we did in our spare time. And when I say we, I, I'm talking about myself and my, my partner, Tom Skokins, who's a fellow urbanist. So we thought the streets in Riga are, are not in a great condition. Um, it, there's way too much space for cars and, and people and, and cyclists, especially at that time it was a huge problem for cyclists that their numbers were growing, but they didn't have any space on the street. So we thought we can uh, make people more aware of this issue. And we started by just drawing up some uh, proposals for that particular street. And why we selected that street, that the reason was there was an active local community, which was at the time not so uh, common in Riga. So we had we needed someone to talk to, to just gain some knowledge about the street and you know to kind of find a client, really, some some people that were, would be interested. So we started by yeah drawing up proposals. We made some images, and then we went to show, show it to people right on the street. Everyone said, yeah, this is a nice idea, it looks good. But it wasn't, we felt that maybe don't, they don't completely understand what we're talking about. And then I think a year later, we went back again with more pictures, with even uh, a deeper study of, of the space. And then we gathered many signatures and then we submitted the, the project to the municipality. Then still, we were not sure if, you know, if people get it. 
And is then, that part uh, of because yeah. of the communication medium, because of the way you were trying to communicate these ideas? Yeah, I think so. It was that was not something that we intended to do from the beginning, but it became clear along the way that maybe the kind of visual language that we use as architects and urban planners is not exactly what you know the general public understands. Mm-hmm. And maybe there sh- there can be a, a better medium mm-hmm. to do that. Did you find a better medium? Uh, I guess we did, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what we uh, set out to do and, uh, was to build a, a model, a three-dimensional representation of the idea, and uh, we did that on, on a scale one-to-one. So directly on the street, a we built a, a life-size mock-up of, of the street profile that we suggested, and uh, it was um, it was a huge thing. <laughs> it was, uh, I think, 14 by 12 meters, something like that. Where did you build it? Where? Yeah. Well, directly on the street. You built yeah. it on the street. Yeah, wow. yeah, right on, on the on the sidewalks and uh, along the the walls of the ground floor. So we only left the middle um, free to you know to not interfere with the traffic, so that the street still needed to function the way it's it, it had done before. But what uh, what we were trying to show is that um, that there is space for kind of social interaction on the street. The sidewalks can be much more uh, livable. There, there is actually space for a cycling lane on each side. And uh, yeah, it was kind of a, a small miracle. And, and then what happened? Well, we, we built it quite quite quickly. I think it took three days altogether with, uh, with a team of professional builders and lots of volunteers and ourselves. And then it kind of changed instantly. It was people react to it very strongly. They were, of course, very interested. What is going on? What is this, this blue object on the street? And, you know, you, you can't really ignore it once you step inside a, a blue installation on, mm. on your usually gray street. Can you send me some photos? We might tweet them out to our listeners. Yeah, yeah, sure. I, I'll, I'll do that. Um, it looked like it had kind of uh, landed from, you know, out of <laughs> space. From Mars. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and it encouraged a lot of um, valuable discussions about uh street design in general and, and about the design of that particular street. And this time people reacted in, in a range of different ways. There were some that supported the idea very strongly and mm. said, this is great. And there were others who were more critical or there were people who also said, we, we hate this and, mm. and we're going to come and destroy it overnight. Right. Did and they do that? No, luckily <laughs> no. They, they so that, that's interesting because the visual language that architects commonly use that we were just talking about before is a barrier for some people to access the knowledge and the ideas that are in those plans and maps. But it <laughs> seems that what you've done by putting on display is both open up the ideas to a broader range of people, but that brings with it both critique and acceptance. Uh, yeah, exactly. There were um, several different outcomes of that. First of all, I think it was uh, very valuable for us to understand that what we're proposing is a good fit. So, and it helped enormously for us to understand the scale. For example, on our drawings, we added only 30 centimeters to one of the sidewalks, and uh, it felt like uh, this is not enough. It, like, what is 30 centimeters mm. it's just a very small piece and then uh, but in reality on the street that made a huge difference it was mm. just enough to uh, to put out uh, chairs and um, flower pots and and small tables next to the wall 
and immediately the, the sidewalk became uh, much more usable. Mm. Uh, so I think also it's a great tool for um, spatial planning, I think, just to really test uh, with your body, not with, you know, only with your mm. eyes looking at the drawing, but you can measure the space with your body. Mm. And, and, and I think it helps really to avoid making mistakes in your design. And then uh, secondly, it was a great communication tool to gather feedback from people, to get more insights on like how the street functions and where they normally park their cars, how do they use the, the sidewalks and, and so on. And then, uh, yeah, of course, and it was also great for um, creating a, a larger awareness of, of these issues, that there's way too much space dedicated to, to traffic and not enough for people just to enjoy being outdoors. We're talking to Evelina Rosolo about how she's been working with the street in Latvia. And it's a project that's attracted worldwide attention. It's been, I think, four years now, and, and we still receive messages from people all over the world asking, like, uh, is it okay that we build something similar? Urban scholars and community groups around the world want to borrow the lessons from Latvia and take them to the streets in their own hometowns. In the next part of the discussion, we talk about the relationship between theory and practice. It strikes me that this project might sit between two ideas, one of them being reclaim the street and the other one being DIY urbanism. It's kind of a reclaiming of the street through mm -hmm. DIY urbanism. Would you view it in that way? Yeah, I guess so. And um, the way we see DIY urbanism or, or tactical urbanism is that um, design, good design really adds a lot of value. It makes the argument stronger. If it's just, you know, a lot of uh, tactical urbanism um, projects are built out of um, like found materials or with very, very simple means, which is uh, good and, and, and it's okay. But when um, when you when you build something bigger or, or, or you know, more colorful, that it looks like almost real, then it, then it becomes much stronger. So I think the the design component is a really important one mm. in, in, in those projects. A lot of tactical urbanism that I'm familiar with is the intervention itself. So you build something or you intervene in that moment, and that is the product, that is the intervention. But this is actually, I imagine, a step in the process. What you're doing is intervening to demonstrate almost proof of concept for what could come in the future. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right about that. And uh, it kind of didn't stop there. It wasn't a kind of only a provocative statement or a, or a protest statement. We wanted to have a, a dialogue with the, the municipality, its planning department, how they see... Uh, the, uh, did, did you have that dialogue? Uh, we, we managed to have some, yeah. And it, eventually it actually led to my, my colleague, Tom Scockins, working on, um, on a bigger strategy for cycling uh, lanes in the whole city. Right. So there was a very uh, strong and, and tangible out outcome on, the, on mm. a policy level, on, on mm. a planning level. Unfortunately, the, the government that we have in Riga is not very open to refurbishing the streets and that's a very very slow process and so far actually only one of the central streets has been mm. um, um, I guess renovated. That, and I guess that goes to the way we might measure 
the outcomes of this, if indeed we want to measure them, and if indeed that's possible, that the effect might not just be local, it might be local, that in this case you do a local intervention and it might lead to other citywide outcomes or it just might lead to a discussion about the city that has a productive outcome at some other point in the future. Have you thought about how you might measure the impact of these projects? Mm. Well, for us, I think the the end goal is definitely seeing our proposal or, or it could be a, a different proposal, you know, realized on that street or a street of that type or of a similar profile. But another outcome that we kind of didn't expect and we're, we're happy about it is that there's definitely a growth in uh, civic activism mm. in the recent years. And I hope that we have inspired those people at least a little bit. Many of them actually mm. took part in, in building the, the installation. And now they have gone off to um, to paint cycling lanes on major streets overnight or um, to uh, to plant trees where they see the, the lack of it. And, uh, you know, just to, to voice their opinion and, and the kind of needs of residents to the municipality in a more uh, visible way. So thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to episode three of our special five-part series to celebrate the centenary of the School of Architecture, Design and Planning here at the University of Sydney. I'm Dallas Rogers, host of City Road Podcast. And remember, you can subscribe to the podcast to hear more interviews. All the links are on our website at cityroadpod.org.